I wear so many different hats. You know, I'm the teacher, I'm the nurse when somebody gets hurt, I'm the detective when somebody has taken somebody's pencil, you know, I've got to solve that. So every day is very, very different. I've got the greatest kids on the earth. They're seven and eight year olds, so there's a lot of energy in my classroom. It's a fun place to be. I try to make it a fun place to be. I think just meeting kids where they are when you've got 24 different kids sitting there and all their needs are so different and it's my job to meet them all where they are and move them you know so I think every single day that's a challenge for me because nowadays so many kids are coming to school and they don't have maybe that manner component or that how to treat other people component and so I find myself doing more of the social kind of skills and not so much just math and reading and writing and so I pray for patience um, you know just to be calm and no matter the situation. I pray that I handle every situation the right way. And I pray that I'm making a difference in at least one of those 24 kids, you know, that, that one of them is going home and, and I'm a bright spot for somebody. I can't get up and preach the word to my kids, but I feel like I'm living it out every day by those kids seeing me talk to other kids and the way I act with other kids. And I want them to see me and think, that's what Miss Gohagen would do. One of the other things I think I try really hard to do is make those connections with my kids. I try to say, hey, you got new shoes on, or how was the dentist appointment in any cavities? Um, Did y'all win the big ball game? I try to make a relationship with every kiddo that walks in my door. And I always tell them that once you've been with me, you're always my kid. And I call them my kids. I call us a family at school because we're together so much. And I expect them to treat each other like their family. And I do try to keep my connections with my kids once I've already had them. And I'll send them notes or words of encouragement because they have a place in my heart. I love, I love my kids. I really do love each and every kid I've ever taught. I had a high school student, she's a junior now, and I teach second grade, so, and they had to write a poem about a person that made an impact on their life. And she wrote the most beautiful poem about me. And it was so touching because at the time, I had no idea, what, I'm gonna cry, I had no idea what I meant to her at the time, but it was a lot. It makes me feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Thank you, Jenny Rebecca. She's sitting right there at the back. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you love to have your second grader be in her class? You know, it's our teachers. It's our teachers who live their faith every day in the classroom and see it as an opportunity to live out the love of Jesus with their students that, that impact and change the world. You know, I don't, I don't know what kind of job you do. I don't know where you spend your time or where most of your day is spent. But every moment offers you the opportunity to make an impact in someone's life. To share your faith through some small, small act, some small thing that you do. And, and I, I just need to remind you of this, this this morning, that there is someone in the world today, someone somewhere, who's just waiting for you to be the person that God's created you to be. Never underestimate the impact that your life can have on the world. But you're going to have to be uncomfortable, you know. You're going to have to be uncomfortable to make an impact. You know, you're going to have to take off the rubber gloves. You're going to have to take off the hazmat suit. You're going to have to, you know, cross the distance 
get in an uncomfortable place. And I got to tell you, I got to tell you, this is not easy for me. As, as, turn 55 in, in December. It's not that funny. <laughs> and, and, and I don't know about you, if you're getting older, but as I get older, I, I've just got to resist this temptation uh, to become an old man. You can be old and not be an old man. An old man is the guy that yells, don't get on my lawn, right? Because we want everything, you know, stay off my lawn. I don't want to be that guy, you know, stay off my lawn. But i got to fight the urge because the older I get, you know, I don't like things to be out of place. I've become more obsessive about keeping things in order. The good thing about that is that God has hardwired the world to disrupt that when you're older. That's why he gives you grandkids. You know, grandkids don't care where everything goes, you know. They, they don't care at all. So, so think for a moment about a moment in your life when you've been really, really uncomfortable. I mean, you've all had one of those moments. Maybe it was when you changed your first diaper. You needed the hazmat suit, you know. How could a little baby produce so much awful stuff? You know, they do. But think about a moment when you were just really uncomfortable and you were pushed beyond your limits to some new place. Maybe it was with a group of people. You know, when was it? I, I've had a lot of those moments, but I think this is perhaps the most uncomfortable thing that's ever happened to me. I went on a 14-hour train ride that I can only describe politely as the train ride in the deepest, darkest place of blank. I was traveling. I was, I was on sabbatical, and I was backpacking across Europe, and I took this train ride from Italy to, um, to a monastery somewhere in southern France. And so I decided to take the train to get there. I had this train pass. And I didn't know when I got on the train that it was going to be a difficult journey. It turned out to be a 24-hour train ride for me because they were on strike. And so when I got to this place in France called Marseille, I was on this really nice luxury train. But then because of the strike, um, I had to wait around several hours. I'd already been up a long time, and I was going to have to get on this other train, which I would describe as the farm animal train. Not nice, you know, there's not a luxury car, not air-conditioned. Stops at every station, bored it in the middle of the night, because it stops everywhere, it's going to be 14 hours. Now, I don't do well when I have had no sleep, and then I already had no sleep. So I go to get my seat, I go to get my seat on the train, and they sit me down next to this teenager who doesn't speak English, and he's got a bag that fills up both seats, and I'm trying to talk to him. It's dark. Half the people on the train are asleep. I'm sitting there. Can, can you move the bag? He won't move the bag. He doesn't understand, or he's pretending he doesn't understand. He won't move his bag. He looks a little scary to me. I don't want to offend him. I could get hurt. It's all uncomfortable. So I'm sitting in this seat. I'm tired. I'm sleepy. My knees are in my chest. So I think to myself, I'll just lay my seat back like everybody else on the train. They lay back so you can go to sleep. Unfortunately, there was a woman behind me with a baby that was crying all night, and the baby was on her lap, so I couldn't bend my seat back without crushing the baby. Oh, God. So it couldn't get worse, really, could it? But the woman in front of me had no trouble sleeping. She laid her seat all the way back, 
And it was all the way back in my lap because I couldn't lay my seat back. And I literally sat there for several hours looking at this woman's face right here. <laughs> snoring loudly. Can't go back, baby behind me, woman in front of me, snoring, drooling, I might add. It was all uncomfortable. I can't sleep. So at one point I'm thinking, give me a hazmat suit and get me out of here. You know, I'm like, can I ride? In with a, what can I do? So I finally just gave up on trying to sleep and got out and decided, okay, I don't care if I have an assigned seat. I don't care if they throw me off the train. I'll figure it out. I went and looked for another seat, and I walked to the back of the train, and there was an empty seat. Oh, it's great. Empty seat. Well, on a train like that, there's a reason why the seat is empty. I sat down on the seat, and it was soaking wet. And I could tell it wasn't water for me. From the odor. So I was faced with a decision. Do I sleep? Do I sit scrunched in next to a teenager who could be a terrorist with a woman in front of me and a baby behind me? Or do I sit in a seat that has been stained by some form of bodily fluid? We don't know what it is. What would you do? I just sat in the seat all night long at the back of the train. Homeless people getting on off the train, asking for money, you know, standing there with me, talking to me all night. It was just uncomfortable, scary, give me the hazmat suit. When I, when I got off the train, I had to get on another bus where there were 40, there, there were 40 people crammed on a bus for 25 because, because there was, it was a train on strike. When I finally got to the monastery, the monk met me to pick me up in a car to take me to, the, to Plum Village. I just, honestly, I just started bawling. I don't do that. That was uncomfortable. Thank you for saving me. <laughs> Uncomfortable. But you know, you know what the truth is? That I've discovered is that it's those uncomfortable journeys that God uses us to transform us into the people that he's created us to be. If all you do in your life is seek comfort and seek safety, you will never become the person that you were created to be. If all you do is insulate yourself and, and keep kids off your lawn and put yourself in a hazmat suit, wear the rubber gloves, never get dirty, never interact, never meet people who, are, who have had different experiences from you, never walk up against different cultures, never find yourself with people who are in different places in life. If you're never uncomfortable, you're not going to grow, you're not going to expand, you'll never be the person that God created you to be. And the person who's waiting in the world for you to be the person you were created to be is just going to keep on waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. I, I, I read Mark's gospel and the other gospels, and one day it says that there were these, these guys, they were fishing, Peter, James, John, and they were casting their nets. And suddenly this itinerant preacher walks up and starts preaching a message. They're compelled by the vision, and on a whim they decide to follow him. It had to be a whim. They didn't know where he was taking them. But Jesus looks at Peter, James, John, these early disciples, and says, come with me. I want you to go on a journey with me. Will you be my disciples? Will you follow me? And they say yes. And they had no idea at that moment what a journey it would be. You know, if we only had that spirit to just say yes to the journey to being uncomfortable, they had no idea how uncomfortable they would be. But think about what happens almost immediately they go to Capernaum and they're in a synagogue and Jesus is preaching. 
and suddenly in the middle of the service, when Jesus is preaching, a man begins to shriek, saying, why have you come here to destroy us? The reality is whenever Jesus shows up in church, the people who want order and structure are always going to be upset when Jesus shows up in the church and the demons always cry out. You know, if the demons aren't crying out, it probably means he's not in church. We've never done it this way before, the demon says. Why do we let those people in, the demon says. Why are you asking us to do this, the demon says. That's a whole other sermon. (laughs) But then they go from there. Next thing you know, Jesus is walking along and teaching, and a leper comes up, and you don't get near lepers because lepers were unclean. And he doesn't just heal the man. He reaches across the distance required by the law and touches the man's leprous skin and heals the man. Everything about this is becoming uncomfortable for these disciples. The next thing you know, he's preaching in a little house. Jesus is delivering the message. And and these, these religious leaders are all surrounding Jesus. Disciples are along the back of the wall. And suddenly here on the roof of the house, all these footsteps. And in the middle of the sermon, Jesus looks up and He sees this dirt starting to fall from the ceiling. Pieces of ceiling and straw and mud are falling on Jesus, landing on him as he's doing the message. Then he looks up and the hole gets bigger and he sees four guys looking down through the hole. Next thing you know, the hole's big enough and they're lowering a guy on a mat. Imagine it's taking place. Imagine, you know, this is going on and everything's uncomfortable about this. They lower this man and then Jesus not only heals him, but he forgives his sins and everyone's upset. You know, he can't forgive sins. The disciples are thinking, you know, we're, we're following him. Now everybody hates us. And then Jesus heals on the Sabbath. And his family is so bothered by all of this, his family goes looking for him. And when his family finds him, they send some messengers to him and say, well, you tell Jesus to please come see us because we think he's lost his mind. And then Jesus goes to dinner with the disciples. He takes them to a house. And he sits down at the dinner table with tax collectors and sinners and people that were disliked and hated. And the religious people begin to say, there's something wrong with this Jesus. He's got a demon inside of him. And the disciples are probably thinking, this is not going the way that we thought it was going to go. This is getting to be pretty uncomfortable. And then they see Jesus at one moment. Give a deaf guy a wet willy. You know what a wet willy is? Right in the ears. Unstops his ears. He hears. Then he spits in some mud and puts it in a guy's eye. I mean, Jesus is touching people. He's rubbing up against the wrong kinds of people. Doesn't he know who he's touching? Doesn't he know who he's with? Look at what he's doing. Look at where he's going. This is not the way we, they, they must have been uncomfortable for them. Then one day it says they're walking along and everybody is crowding around Jesus. Sick people are cramming up against him. They're touching him. And in the middle of this, a, a synagogue leader comes up and says, my daughter, my daughter, my daughter, she's dying. Will you come? And he says, I'll come. And while he's walking, a woman, and a woman designated unclean who was hemorrhaging with a flow of blood, chronic condition, touches Jesus and she's healed. He shows her love. Then Jesus goes to the house and raises the little girl from the dead. 
And Jesus is giving them this message. You've got to be uncomfortable because everything that the world says is untouchable is, oh, no, it's touchable. And everything and everyone is redeemable and worthy of love. And you got to know that when Jesus is in the house, what's dead don't stay dead. And so after they have seen all of this happen and all of this, Jesus then looks at them and says to them, Who am I? Peter says, Son of God. And Jesus says, let me explain that what that means. You've seen all this. He's putting words to the actions. He's saying, my whole life is about living a life of sacrifice for others. And I'm going to go to Jerusalem. And I'm going to suffer and die. And the religious people are going to kill me for the sins of the world. And I'm expecting the same from you. If you want to follow me, you've got to live a life of sacrifice. You've got to take off the hazmat suit. You've got to rub up against people that are undesirable, unwelcome, and unloved. You've got to be uncomfortable. That's how I'm going to shape you. I'm going to use the Word and the world to shape you into the person that you've been created to be. You've got to be uncomfortable. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever will lose his life will save it. What does it profit you to gain the whole world yet lose your soul? And he says... What can be given in exchange for your soul? And that's an interesting phrase. He's, he's essentially saying, nobody can buy your soul. Nothing's worth the purchase of your soul. But the way you get your soul is by giving away yourself. Now, this is so hard for him to understand. He has to say it three times. And then he drops this line in, which is essentially the heart of the teaching of Jesus in Mark 35, where he says, the first shall be last and the last shall be first, and the greatest among you will be the servant of all. Where did we get the idea that the purpose of Jesus was to keep us safe? I, I, I don't know. You know, I think we, I, it's because we painted a really good picture of Jesus. The picture of Jesus we painted is really, really nice. You know, He's got just perfectly straight hair. It's not matted. It's like he's using product of some kind. You know, and it's, he's obviously been to the orthodontist, and he's had his teeth white-capped, and they're capped, they're white, they're perfectly straight. It's obviously that he has a good, a good tailor because the robe fits perfectly, and he must use the, the best detergent because it's whiter than white, and the dust from the streets in Jerusalem don't seem to stick to the robe. And we paint this picture of Jesus whose main purpose in life is to keep your life free of anxiety because he never gets upset, he never gets irritated. He just loves you, loves you, loves you, loves you, loves you. And so we build a church and we call it a sanctuary rather than a dangerary. I just made that up. That's not bad. You know, a sanctuary, because what do we do? We go hide from the world. And what do we do is we gather around with people who are like us, who worship like us, who vote like us, who prejudice like us, who want to keep the th things the way they are, the way the, the world is. And then when Jesus shows up in the church to preach a message, that's why the demons cry out. The demons start to cry out because we think his purpose is to keep us safe. Let me tell you, he loves you, but he's not safe. 
He wants to take you on an uncomfortable journey. Let me tell you about an uncomfortable journey happening right now in our church. I love this about our church. Somehow or another, through God's ways, God has begun to bring a group of young people to our church that is beautiful and amazing. But they've had different experiences than us. By the way, nobody is different from you. Person of a different race is not different from you. Person living in poverty is not. They just had different experiences than you. So get over the illusion that anybody's different from us. We've just had different experiences. These young people have had different experiences. They've grown up in some homes that have been very challenged. They now live at Youth Spiritus, which is a group home. Many of these youth, and we, they have been through some pretty difficult circumstances. They now live at Youth Spiritus, and many of them have been through multiple foster care situations and a lot of instability. I remember talking to one of them after worship one Sunday who told me, I don't have a family and nobody loves me. But they keep coming here. They keep coming here because Middletown has become a place of love and you have welcomed them, welcomed them, and they don't feel comfortable everywhere. I, I love that. I love that about your heart. I love the way that you welcome. But something recently new has happened. They have to earn the privilege to come here. Chris, our youth minister, has been talking with the leaders at Youth Spiritus to be able to welcome them to come on Sunday evenings. They won't be able to come every Sunday evenings, but occasionally they'll be able to come. And so there are some special things about that in order for them to come because there are some rules that our youth have to adjust to. So it's really uncomfortable. So let me explain. It's really uncomfortable for everyone. It's probably most uncomfortable for the youth who are coming from Youth Spiritus. Because when they come to a church where kids are living with families, they feel uncomfortable, like maybe like there's, I'm unusual. And they feel, I mean, wouldn't you be uncomfortable? I don't fit in or whatever. And then our youth, one of our youth spoke to me and said, this is just uncomfortable to me because there's all these rules. He wasn't complaining. Uh, it just seems like it's complicated. It seems like it's going to change the way we do youth group in some way. Well, I was thinking about that. The reality is in order for something like this to happen, people have to be uncomfortable. In order to do the work of Jesus, what better thing for a youth to learn than you've got to be uncomfortable? You know, this, the church doesn't belong just for us. This is not our club where we go and take care of ourselves. The church is the only organization in the world that totally exists for the benefit of other people and not for itself. Uncomfortable. So I'm hearing this story, talking to Chris, just so proud of Chris and what, what's happening with our youth. And then I get this vision. 25 years have passed. And Chris Cherry gets a phone call. He's now the senior minister of Middletown Christian Church because he like is preaching a lot better than the present ministers. And someone on the other line says, you, you won't remember me. 25 years ago, I came to your church for the first time. I came to youth group, and I was living in a group home. Man, that was really uncomfortable for me. I, did, I, I didn't think I would fit in, and I felt really awkward. But there was another kid in the youth group 
Um, you know who was texting during the service and not listening? Where's glasses? George. And it was, we were a youth group. You know, we were a youth group. We were a youth group. And I felt uncomfortable. And he came over and sat with me. And we started hanging out. He became my friend. It was one day a week I felt normal. I just called to say thank you. I don't know who the kid was. You remember me. But you need to know that I'm, I'm, now, I'm now the mayor of Oklahoma City. 25 years have passed, and I'm working to reform the foster care system in my city. That started there. You know, we always hear these stories of people's lives who were impacted by some small action or some small decision that ended up changing their entire life. And we think, gosh, isn't that a great story? But I want to ask you, why not us? Why can't that be us? Why can't that be the teenager who's so bored by the 55-year-old guy who says, get off the lawn, texting during the sermon? Why can't it be that kid? Why can't it be you? But you've got to be willing to be uncomfortable. You've got to start to believe that everything and everyone is redeemable. You've got to start believing in your heart of hearts that, that what's dead doesn't stay dead when Jesus shows up. That you got to start believing that no one is different from you. They just had different experiences from you. You just got to believe that the call of Jesus in this world is not to a limited and exclusive life, but that if you're in the presence of Jesus, it's an ever-expanding life of, of inclusion and welcome and pushing beyond boundaries to be uncomfortable. And then you get the call. Do you remember? When you walked into the deli and you handed me the tickets, I just, you know, I was your meat cutter. And you gave me the tickets to the game at Papa John. Do you remember when you came into my cubicle at work and you asked me about my mom? My mom was dying. You don't remember me, but 20 years ago, I couldn't read. And you volunteered to, to, to drive the van to the learning center. 20 years ago, you came down to, to where I live in Honduras, and you made a little bracelet for me. You, you were building something, but you took time out to make a little bracelet for me. That little kind act, just it just changed my life. Never underestimate the power of a simple, small act, what you do for people. The change, the ripples go on and on and on. But here's the great thing. When you go on this journey of uncomfortability, vulnerable, no hazmat suit, of serving sacrificially, it not only changes the world, but it changes you. Someone, somewhere, is waiting on you to be the person that God created you to be.